nā koutou e whakarongo mai nā ki tēnei uh, o ngā kaupapa a te mātāwai. Uh, e harikoana tēnā kou, te haramai tēnei ahiahi, taho, taho o taku tūnāne, uh, o waku tūnāne, uh, ki te kōrero uh, mō te whakarau ora reo. Ko Rāwenia Higgins tōku ingoa uh, nō te whāru o Rātoki ahau, uh, ko tūhoi tōku iwi, um, koe te toihau o te tauraferi i te reo Māori, uh, Kamba tu i whai wahi anō au ki roto i a te mātāwai i ona wā uh, i te tīmatanga mai o te mātāwai. Nō reira, he koana te nākau te hoki mai ki te tautoko i ngā mahi a te mātāwai o sira uh, te tautoko kia, uh, kia ora te whare o te reo Mauri ora uh, me ki. Uh, nō reira, tēnei te mihi atu kia koutou. Kia ora. Tēnā ki wehi, tēnā tātou. Hai. Uh, ko poia tēnei mā tātua te arua nā waka. Hai, um, nei mai hoki mai ki tēnei mai hi o te whare te tui ene. Hai, ko koe rā tērā i toko ake i tērā mai hi te tīmatanga. Anā, kei kune koe toko ana i tētahi o nā mai hi tēnei wā. Mai kore pakirei te tui o tēnei whare o te reo mauri ora. Kia ora. Orina tu te pātai tuatahi e fiu nei ki au kūrua. Uh, tēnā, whakamāruma i hia mai ki te hunga e whakarongo nei uh, ki a tātou, uh, kōrero ana mō te whare o te reo mauri ora, Miki, nā taha e rua. Uh, I tīkina ko te whare o te reo mauri ora, uh, hei kupu whakarite uh, mō te āhua o te whakarau ora reo. Uh, Mōhio ana tātou, kei roto i o tātou whare tipuna, uh, he taha whaiti, taraiti, uh, he taha whānui uh, tō te whare, uh, ko te taranui tērā. Uh, Kamutu uh, i whakaro ake uh, ko te taha ki te taraiti kia te mātāwai. Uh, I runga uh, ko te taha ki te, tarawha, uh, ki, ki te taranui uh, ko te karauna. I runga anō i te whakaro i mua i te, uh, I te ture mo te reo Māori, te mea haunei. Um, I, I waho tonu te iwi Māori i roto i ngā hangana uh, rautaki reo Māori, uh, ko te karauna tonu i te hana i, I aua rautaki, uh, ko te taha ki te Māori he, he tono noa atu ki te karauna uh, kia whawhati mai he, uh, he hua, uh, he konga konga rānei uh, rauimi uh, ki te tautoko i ngā kaupapa te iwi Māori. Me te mea hoki e mōhio nei tātou, uh, ko te nuingo ngā kaupapa whakarau ora reo, i ahu mai i roto i ngā hapori Māori, uh, i ngā iwi, uh, i ngā kaupapa Māori, uh, ko tā te kāwanatanga uh, he uh, ārahi i ngā rawa uh, kataka mai ki awai. Nō reira, uh, ko te āhua o taua whare e whaiana ki ngā rangahau uh, e pāna ki te whakarau ora reo, uh, so te whare o te reo Māori ora uh, follows uh, uh, language planning and policy um, theories around micro language planning versus macro language planning. And of course, uh, before um, te ture mō te reo Māori, uh, a vast majority of the strategy for language revitalization lay largely in the hands of the Crown, mm. uh, with the Crown strategies, and consequently um, guided the, the way in which we think about language revitalization. When we had the opportunity to uh, review the, the legislation, uh, we took it upon ourselves to uh, bring everybody inside the whare. Mm. 
as a way to kind of think around what is the desires of iwi Māori in terms of intergenerational language transmission that's a fundamental to uh, to language revitalization, but also there's an obligation on the side of of the crown to support and create conditions around uh, language revitalization, so that hopefully, uh, in a more joined up and at least coordinated way, we're working together. Uh, I had the privilege of being on the board of the establishment board of Te Matawai in terms of setting the strategy around uh, the Mahi Māori. Uh, consequently, got pushed over to the other side of the whare, to, um, to Tauruwhiri, Te Reo Māori, uh, to be able to lead out the Mahi Krona and hopefully get some cohesion between the, t- between the, the Te Whare o Te Reo Māori ora. Oi, and I suppose this sort of dovetails quite nicely too into uh, Takura Roa and, you know, and just sort of um, examining what that might look like in terms of our understanding uh, for our whanau listening in today. Um, so we're looking at the purpose of uh, Takura Roa and how was that, how did that sort of come about in terms of the development there? Uh, well, I do talk about the Takura Ana ko te kura nui ko te kura ruatera, ana ko te kura tangata he tangata te kura. Uh, na re tiki na mei ko te ra tau i ra hoki, um, he utanga mo a maua mahi ranga hewi te rawa. Mm. Uh, no muri mai te ra i te uh, tono a maua e nga pai o te maramatanga, na re rifi whai maua i rungi tā rawa tono. Taua e riro mā te tono nui hoki nga pai o te maramatanga, ngari, uh, he mōhio no, no, no Maryland mai te rahua, uh, ka tīkina mai ko māua, he āta aro tahi ki te reo, mo te toru tau, ka uma te taukotahi noi honei, te takau mahi a marama, engari, me āta whakapau ngā, ngā rauimi, āpūtea, tāngata hoki ki te kaupapa, a keike, nā rere koe ne te whānautanga mai o te, o te kura roa. Kamatu ko te tono mai a ngā pai ki a māua, kia rangahau i te hua o te reo Māori. Uh, kamutu i, I te wā i tai mai te tono kia māua i whakaaro ake, oh, māmā noiho tēnā. Uh, whakaaro ake, you know, uh, kuri noa nei, uh, ka māmā tēnā kaupapa. Engari, uh, i kite māua arā kē te whānui tango o tērā, tērā kaupapa, uh, me tīmata kīhia, uh, pēhea nei te, te whakamauri, te whakatinana i tēnei mea te hua o te reo Māori, te ruku hohonu ki roto i tērā kaupapa uh, o te hua o te reo, koina i tāpiri hoki ko te kura roa tēnā. Uh, but, you know, in all reality, uh, that uh, research project um, became the catalyst for a number of things for both Poya and I to uh, explore, you know, what is the value of te reo Māori to our hapori? Uh, what is the value of the reo inside the, um, the with the Crown? Um, and have the opportunity to work alongside kaupapa such as uh, 
te kohanga reo and uh, te asarangi uh, more directly mm. uh, and the, the part that Poya looked after was was working with the with the crown agencies to see to what extent mm. uh, did the value of the language apply in those spaces and through that research we were able to uh, draw down a number of conclusions around people's attitudes and behaviours uh, towards te reo. So we understand intrinsically for many Māori uh, he tino taonga te reo Māori. Uh, we have many uh, pepeha, kōrero, whakatauki, you know, he taonga te reo, reo rangatira, uh, no tātou tipuna, and, you know, as Māori, we hold fast to those mm. um, uh, those uh, sayings, but then we speak English. Mm. Um, and so we were trying to unpack, like, why people's attitudes might um, might be very strong sense of connection to the real, but that didn't always translate into use. Mm. And so we were trying to work out what are the things that became barriers mm. or obstacles uh, within you know, two different kind of frames and, yeah. So it's like after the ceremonial practices are finished on the marae, then everyone switches back to English. Yeah. And yeah, But I think the model today we are, because um, it's a tripartite agreement between University of Auckland, University of Victoria, University of Otago at that time, um, I think it showed a demonstration of trying to work together rather than one leading out from one particular area. So we thought we had the country covered, in Auckland, Wellington, then uh, Southland, um, Otago. So I think the model was also an attempt to also pick up on the Whareo Te Reo and bring more entities together and um, move away from the individualism. And I suppose that really, that really sort of um, reinforces too um, what we're trying to do at the Matawai in terms of that support there for our communities and community projects and programs, um, and with their emphasis of encouraging our whānau mm. to speak Māori within the home mm. and the intergenerational exchange of our ārel. Mm. Well, they bought the mm. women purely because of the intellect. They just could belong for the good looks. Kapai. <laughs> 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 but I think you're right. So, yeah. and, you know, when we were trying to look at, you know, I mean, how te hua te reo Māori, what is the value of te reo Māori? It's, it's putting in what is the value proposition to our people. Mm. And so understanding that there's actually a whole range of values that people will apply to the reo and consequently can, in, uh, you know, uh, condition the way they use te reo Māori. So as I said before, intrinsically, you know, you'd be hard pushed to find many Māori who wouldn't say that te reo is not a tonga or is not important from an intrinsic cultural, spiritual level that, you know, you probably get, you know, a lot of amine to that yeah. proposition. Yeah, absolutely. But then you add a different kind of proposition in such as education, mm-hmm. educational value. And we see just in the way uh, kōhanga reo, kura kaupapa, wharekura, wānana, just in terms of the, the numbers we have, mm-hmm. kind of speak a different, give us a different message on how do we understand understand that and you know there are other elements to language revitalization where we've you know for the past 50 years have put a lot of effort in mm. and often people are still trying to understand what is the value 
that they add, uh, mainly for those hapori, mm-hmm. for example. But how do you get masses of people to shift along a continuum of saying, actually, I can see the relevance, I see the value in this. Um, and how does that influence policymakers in terms of the way they mm. design policy that encourages people to want to use more real? Kapai, mm. thank you, Rawinia, for that. And so if we just go to Poya now and we talk about maybe some of the, the value of the deal and some of that research around the value of the deal and um, what's what does that sort of, you know, bring to the fore in terms of those insights? Oh, I saw the chat on from Rawinia's comment about um, impacting on policy, you know, one small little... Uh, product of that was that um, uh, publication, but come back to the the value and all of the different entities in here, the value is from their own positions, their own perspectives, which I think is the maturity we're having as Māori. Remember back in the day, everyone was Māori, then you became Ngāti Mea, and then you became your hapu, started becoming more prevalent, I think, when we looked at uh, the value of the real was the same as there's so many nuances in the value that are different. We need to start to be more um, cognizant with those and um, be able to address them as they pertain to each individual or grouping. And I think that's where we've developed over the years that there's no one value for even just for the three of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need to look at the, the disciplines as diverse as they are and now start to dig deeper into um, how they view that it was a Tonga mm. in their respective areas. Yeah, and I suppose it, it's <clears throat> probably true that what we're seeing now in terms of this renaissance uh, that we're going through as a country, um, with the, you know, our net coming to the fore, being broadcast on the mainstream television, um, the usage there within radio, and... Um, you know, that's the ability of, uh, well, mainstream society and that to embrace the the importance of uh, learning the real. And I'm assuming it's going to come to a time where the real and the tikanga and everything's going to be merged into one. But, I mean, I just want to sort of, you know, dig a little bit deeper in terms of your thoughts, Rawenia and Puya, around that. Um, considering you're, you know, pretty much deemed as the architects of a lot of this and in terms of the writings and the research. So, um, yeah. I think maybe just taking a step back before going into where we are today. Um, so when when we produced this, Poira and I were able to um, also present uh, the Zeppa model uh, or Kopa, uh, which is often called right shifting or left shifting. And a part of that was uh, drawn from the research that we collected and some of the triggers that uh, made someone either uh, zero uh, position or made them passive uh, right through to being active. And I think one of the things that I uh, just want to acknowledge uh, Te Māngai Pāho, particularly um, because they gave us an opportunity to introduce uh, the Zeppa model in terms of how do we right shift people into an active space uh, as part of the way uh, they conceptualise the mahi that they do and using broadcasting as a way broadcast funding as a way to allow um, producers of content to think about how they increase uh, or uh, commit to an increase in the use of te reo so that they had a, a plan uh, around that. And so Te Māngai Pāho were one of the first early adopters um, and it's starting to be picked up by others as well. 
Um, and that kind of brings us around to where we are today in terms of te whare o te reo mauri ora, uh, that sense of understanding the difference between macro language planning and micro language planning. Uh, the, the need to be able to support uh, micro language planning um, in a way that promotes intergenerational language transmission mm-hmm. so that those values, the different types of values are embedded in there. But the macro space is, has to be aware of them. And sometimes it's around the critical awareness part mm-hmm. to language revitalization that people are not necessarily all that uh, au fait on. Um, and what you're seeing is now that there's a little bit more clarity on what is the role of the state in supporting and creating those conditions is not to jump into our homes and try and you know, directly impact our families, but actually ensure that our communities and our society in general sees the value of the language to them, Mm -hmm. that it is, you know, the first language of this country uh, and it's become a defining feature of our country. And so if you want to be identified from this country, you you really can't avoid te reo. Um, and so whether it's in haka, whether it's in, you know, the uh, place names, it's very much part of the fabric of society. So understanding that space in the macro in order to allow our tamariki and our mokupuna to not be whakama, to use te reo Māori and to want to use te reo Māori, because uh, that has been a barrier in, in the past that, you know, this perception that there's no value of te reo Māori outside your kōhanga or your kura. Mm. Uh, and even res- restoring it back into our homes. So it's kind of, yeah. So the Zeppa model uh, is around how do we ensure that people move along. It's not a proficiency scale. It's around how do, what are the things we need to do to move people, particularly out of zero and, into, and at least into passive, and if not, even better from passive to active mm. users of the real. Good point. Yeah. Um. And as I mentioned earlier, then the model was looked at the language as a bit of stop start at the time. So like the, the zebra crossing you have, mm. you know, so then the, when you saw a Zephyr drive by, so oh, tried to mold these two together, came up with the Zippo model. Uh, and um, so the zero component, actually, they came across just over part of the research. We started to look at different individuals mm. and who would engage with who. Who would talk with the Winnie and Māori who wouldn't? And that she's fluent but wouldn't engage with her. Mm-hmm. So, and myself as well, and looked mm-hmm. at our, our own families. And actually, that's what really brought us to the, the whole model was um, that there's some passive speakers there. What stops them being passive and actually moving to be active? Mm-hmm. Or the active speakers, you know, especially the Winnie is fun, all fluent as, and <coughs> native speakers not speaking Māori. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that left shifting that the one is talking about with the so the zero really those are doing a kawanaki te reo Māori, doing a hunga horukuku naki te reo Māori, doing a iye naki amate te reo Māori, doing a hunga amate rata aku nei hui nu te nei waka te ora tonu. And so the model looked at those those really reluctant to the zero back then was about those really reluctant to engage the language, no receptivity whatsoever. No acknowledgement of it in its space in Aotearoa anyway. I would rather did die like the like the uh, proverbial more mm. and other things. Um, and then we moved into the passive. But you know, so when you spoke with um, the Manga Pao, um, 
there's been some refinements have gone on there. I understand. I don't know them intricately. There are phases across the passives as well. So are you low mm. passive, medium passive, or high passive? Mm. And then the active, are you low active, medium active, or high active? So those are, it's just the shifts as the witness says, not to, not to grade you and say, are you a A plus or are you a D? Um, but what's your potential to shift? That's the whole uh, focus of the model. What's the potential to shift? Mm. What shift, I'm saying. Mm. But also in the ways of, what does it take to make them shift? And so, and how do we ensure that, you know, for some, you know, I know um, when we were talking at um, TMP, you know, jumping straight into fluent, you know, 100% content can be a left shifter for a lot of people because mm. they can't keep up with the content. And so thinking around, you know, different approaches of how do you increase more language over a range of shows so that you're kind of drip feeding for those mm. who need more coaxing along the spectrum as opposed, but there's still also a need for those 100% uh, uh, programs. And so how do you you plan in a way that caters for many, uh, but also keeps people hooked into that yeah. space as well? And so part of it is not just, okay, I'm going to add another sentence next week, uh, but it's also around what else needs to be added and reinforced mm. to encourage use. But Poi is right, you know, part of the way we did it in our research was we would present scenarios to people around, if I gave you a house and a tax uh, rebate, if you just use the real and nothing mm. else, uh, if I gave you a car, I paid for you know, just kind of what were what were the things that would yeah. switch people into an active zone. Mm. And we were a little bit shocked, maybe naive, that um, some people just went, nah, nah. Well, you know, it's, we're just like putting out, you know, we're putting stuff on the table to say, would you speak to real in your home if we gave you this, you know, some pretty serious stuff, yeah. you know, moving into the realms of how the kibbutz would work. Mm. Um, and there was a lot of, no, no. And part of it, there was their own internal dynamic of, that's just too hard. I couldn't commit to that. And part of it is goes back to the values that, uh, you know, the value proposition in and of itself. And, you know, depending on the value um, would certainly send people back in the left, uh, left shift them. Uh, so we were trying to work out what are the things that can help right shift them along that spectrum. So, in other words, then we're sort of creating those um, safe spaces, those contexts which they, you know, can enter into and, you know, like feeding the birds with some breadcrumbs and do it the next day and the birds come back and you keep feeding them and next thing you know, you've got all of these manu, you know, on your paddock that you can't get rid of, really. And then it's in your oven. Then it's in the oven. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, the bird part in the oven. <laughs> But yeah, I can I can see that yeah I can see how that works and um, I suppose if you you're forced into a situation where you have to do it, you know it's like going to another country and you have to speak totally different real in order to survive. Then you have to do it. But then there's you know obviously going to be a resistance along the way. Um, and I think back too when um, I started on my real journey and, and I'm still on it. Um, and I've got went from zero to te tohu paitahi and with native speakers and 
uh, the likes of Hedini or Tokurune Papa Hedini Melbourne and Te Farihuia and, and all of those Timoti and they were all within the Tari Māori and um, Poia. And um, yeah, I was, you know, passive, but I definitely wasn't active. And so it took a long time for me to, well, at least a couple of years to have that confidence to be able to, to communicate at that particular level. Mm. So, yeah, I can, I can totally understand where a lot of our whanau are coming from in terms of that journey. But often it's, it is those um, tanifa-like, you know, a yeah. little bit mataku because yeah. you're in amongst, you know, some of the greatest speakers of, of all. And it is intimidating. And I think that is where a lot of our uh, research, kind of we saw a lot of people in that space that it was how do you rein in the tanifa? Mm. And, you know, proficiency is one of those tanifa, you know, mataku, whakama, uh, all of those things that really are, you know, significant left shifters mm. uh, for for us as iwi Māori uh, or language learners. Um, that really can just kind of go make you go from active in one situation because you feel comfortable to zero mm. in like zero seconds um, just by somebody walking into the room. Um, and, you know, all second language learners um, go through, you know, some of that, you know, they get a bit wetter, wetter as soon as, you know, people walk in, they're intimidated. Mm. Um, and it doesn't matter how lovely and encouraging those mātanga can be, they still just freeze and then become zero or a little bit passive, a lot of eye, mm. eye <laughs> to, the, to the questions yeah. they ask you and you really want to engage, but you just go, I, I matua or I fire, and then that's it, you just mm. stop. And you know, you go after afterwards, you often kind of beat yourself up because you think, oh, I knew how to say that. I mm. wanted to say more, but, you know, and it's that internal yeah. dynamic that can really um, impact on, on whether someone is uh, left shifted or whether they, and for other people, it's the total opposite. They are spurred on by, yeah, I'm going to do this. Hear my tikamai. They'll just go, they yeah. go for gold and... But everyone's different. Their internal dynamic is different and none of us are the same and it's kind of understanding well, what are the things that make you mataku mm. or whakama and how can we overcome them? Yeah, Yeah, and I think you know, some of those examples are bang on because that's why you stop putting it when you go into those forums because everyone keeps quiet when she's in the room, you know. So. But um, I think you know, we, we, we've been, both of us have taught language mm. and about the naivety and but didn't know any better at that time. You didn't have all these other um, avenues to acquire the language back then. And I think generically we moved them into places where the language uh, was the environment, whereas now we actually go back and say, what's the environment where you feel comfortable with? and as a person, mm. as an individual, and now the language goes to you there. And we tended to move everyone from the East Coast, we put them all to Waikato, to Victoria, they go down south, mm. and they're away from Fano, away from the areas they grew up in. So already you started to remove or um, or some of the confidences they naturally had. Mm. But this is just the, the evolution of uh, of our language and how it's now been picked up. I yep. think as we're starting to be more critical, as Poya said, around research, 
um, particularly uh, around language revitalization theories and the like, you know, exactly what Poi is talking about is, you know, that creation of domain, mm. you know, the language domain and how you create that and, and, you know, how you create that in the home and how you create that in the uh, in your workplace and how you create it uh, in your kura or wherever you want to in terms of that, your setting being comfortable, but also how you make that a rumaki. Um, and for some, that might just be, you know, the and, and how you create that rumaki might be dependent on the wa, you know, a time. It might be a particular time or it might be the context or, or the, um, the wahi itself lends itself to being naturally uh, wahi kōrero Māori. Um, and so, you know, when I think about um, where I work uh, at the university, there are spaces I already know are conducive to, to kōrero Māori, usually by the nature of who's there or whose space it is. And there are times where I know I just have to flip back into English, otherwise people just kind of nod at me and just go, Okay, she might have lost. I think she's forgotten she's uh, at the university today and not at the Māori Language Commission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think with the whole model, you talk about the right shifting and, and the left shifting was, we have no evidence here, I'm talking about that one year and nine, but we'd like to hope that over the years, um, Māori or speaking communities, that the fault line, when they get uncomfortable, is not left shifting but their fault default line is always right shifting mm-hmm. albeit fractional but it means they when I don't want to speak I'm not going to non-speaking as long as I might have been so the default position is creeping along that mm-hmm. uh, the right shift so in other words we're building we're building and creating a capacity you know whether it be in the kainga or out in those spaces within the community that we're speaking to the Mm. Well, it's certainly a long game, right? Yeah. I mean, if intergenerational is not going to be done in in a short period of time, which yeah. does, of course, you know, has its own challenges mm. in terms of uh, how we measure, how we feel like whether we're succeeding or not. Often when you're very much in, immersed in trying to whakarau water your own whānau, you feel like it's just kind of Groundhog Day. Because you feel like you're not making the same or you're not making the leaps into the active. But actually, as Poya said, this is, you know, uh, it's a it's a gradual mm. approach. Um, and I think, you know, my, for me, I always try to liken the uh, language revitalization like a relay race. And, you know, you're working with different runners. So there's you as you might be the first runner. Uh, carrying the baton and you're doing, you, you put in all this effort, whakapau o kaha, mm. ki te hanga i tētahi rumaki reo, uh, for your whānau or for your mahi, and then you got to make sure that the next runner or the next generation wants to pick that up because, of course, they're different. They mm. may have, You may have created the first generation of native speaker back for your whānau. So they've got a different, their starting point is different. They already have real, mm. but you want them to be able to pass it on to mukupuna. So that's mm. that starts a different way of uh, continuing along uh, right shifting. And we have to be cognizant that what we do in our generation is the, maybe as the first runner, if you're the first runner, that uh, and you've you know created that first language speaker, that you want them to be critically aware of why 
around why they want to carry that baton and not drop in and say, oh, well, kei au te reo. Mm. Um, but we have to instill in that sense of critical awareness of why they want to carry that on to the next generation and not just assume by the time they have kids, ka mama, ka mama ake. As we get self-determined, you'd like to hope that we're not as sensitive as we used to be and our skin's a bit tougher because you take the criticism, that's what causes the left shifting. But as our people get more, um, they develop more in their self-esteem and and know their value, then we'd like to think that again is, you're not going to throw me off for much longer now. Mm. You're not going to stop me from speaking now. Well, you know, and it, that's, and I think that's a you know, valid point that you're making there because there's an expectation or assumption. And I mean, I make it all the time, my own tamariki, thinking that they're going to speak to their at home and out in the community or get up and do lead karakia and that. And they just sit there and zoop. You know, they say nothing. And I was thinking to myself, man, what have we been doing wrong for the last 15 years, you know? So it's got to this point where you know, they're very reluctant to do any of that. But then when you're in a different space um, and some a, a place where they feel comfortable, next minute they're leading it. And I just, yeah, I just can't believe it. You know, so it's exactly what you're just talking about there. You know, see it, left shift, right shift. And, I think it only makes the, the the strongest point, which I think is still facing us. The biggest challenge mm. is how do you get now the next generation or two generations as impassioned to make sure the language is regenerated in their own tamariki mukapuna. I think that's the bigger challenge. Easy to teach and teach, but as long as you have the next generation pick it up is the big challenge. Mm. Um, so I look forward to that research, uh, Professor Higgins. I think, um, you know, both what you have um, have been saying is, is you know, really pertinent for us um, because it goes to the point you made, it's around that comfortability. Uh-huh. So for those uh, who are the first runner, uh, often, you know, understand what language loss feels like mm-hmm. and, you know, how hard it is to, um, to do this mahi. Um, but if you've created a, a generation of first language speakers, their sense of loss is not the same. Mm. And so their all is framed totally differently. And so it's how do you create those comfortable domains mm. for your tamariki to take it to a different space? And we as pākeke of children, you know, adult children, have to be cognizant that we need them to fly in their own way and not assume that just because we did it this way, that that's the way that they'll want to do it. Um, because I think, you know, a living language, you know, needs to thrive with the people who are driving it. And so I'm really excited to see where our rangatahi take us in the next part of this journey. You know, I've reflected over uh, during Te Pitihana Mō Te Reo Māori, you know, the 50 years, and, you know, I did a lot of interviews and thinking about the the Tawira from Ngā Tamatoa and Te Reo Māori Society who largely had no real uh, and where they've brought us to today. And we're totally in, living in a different space to where they were 50 years ago. Yeah. And so, you know, they 
they're probably thinking, oh, what's going on now? Um, but I'm I'm kind of excited to see where Rangatahi Māori take us into the next next phase of, of our journey um, that might create totally different domains that are not our domains. We're not comfortable in them, you know, whether they're on social media, whether they're, you know, in the way they connect with each other. Um, and we just hope that te reo will also be part of that, um, that uh, so we don't drop the baton um, in that space. Um, any sort of concluding comments or for Karo, um what we discussed in terms of the Zephyr model and and um, our core little today in terms of uh, our Fakaro Ora Reo? I think it's just heartening to see that the language is finding rooting itself in other areas. Yeah. Um, so I hope uh, my two end is right and the young next generation has already started to pick up that pattern. Um, and we really do, you know, as much as uh, we know it's a taonga, uh, we need to also share that taonga. Um, because, you know, living languages need people to be using the language. And we want to encourage people to use as much language as possible, you know, whether it's iti or nui, um, to try and at least keep on, stay on the direction of travel, of the right shifting towards active. And kia koua tātou hoki, whakate maui, uh, koe mate anō tō tātou reo. Tāpai. O tēnā kōrua, nō mātou te whiwhi o te mātāwai, te kōrua. Nei kia kōrua tahi, e whakatāko tō kōrua nei e whakaaro mō te whakarau ore reo. Nō rīra, ai, nō mātou te whiwhi, o tira tēnā kōrua. Stay tuned for part two where Poya will speak to Larry Parr about the Zephyr model.